Welcome back to the Global Quick Influence Podcast. I'm Panayota Pimenidou. To be up to date with news from the Global Quick Influence Podcast and suggest your topics, subscribe, like, and review the Global Quick Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Amazon Music, and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Quick Influence through the podcast, Facebook, and Twitter accounts, the podcast website, globalquickinfluence.com and LinkedIn page. This Sunday and next Sunday, we will go through your guide from 1 to 10 of a hybrid future covering artificial intelligence, medicine, business, space, transportation and smart cities, quantum computing, future food needs, energy, as in the UN blue economy, digital future, global education, the chemical engineering and new disciplines from the point of view of global Greek experts. Artificial intelligence will continue to advance and become more integrated into our daily lives. It will play an increasingly important role in business, medicine and transportation, among other areas. Advances in medical technology and research will lead to more personalized and effective treatments for a wide range of diseases. The rise of digital transformation will continue to drive innovation and create new opportunities for businesses. The exploration and exploitation of space will increase with the potential for new discoveries and advancements in technologies that transport us to other planets and transfer such technologies' knowledge back to Earth. The development of smart cities and transportation systems will enhance efficiency, safety and sustainability. Quantum computing will enable new capabilities in fields such as cryptography and drug discovery. The demand for sustainable and nutritious food will grow and innovation will be necessary to meet this challenge. The transition to a sustainable blue economy based on the sustainable use of ocean resources will be important in meeting future energy needs. Technology will continue to revolutionize education, making it more accessible, personalized and effective. Advances in chemical engineering will lead to new materials, processes and products that will enhance efficiency, sustainability and safety, but also help us explain the mechanisms of the making of cosmos, our universe. Why we need predictive technologies? There could be several answers to anticipate and prevent problems, optimize operations, enhance decision-making, but how do artificial intelligence and computational science become predictive technologies, including in cyber-defense, cyber-security, for the technology and society? Professor Drikakis, the Vice President for Global Partnerships, Executive Director for Research and Innovation at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus, and the Defense and Security Research Institute president answers this question. Yeah, I think um, computational science is a much broader uh, topic than uh, AI. Uh, it includes uh, artificial uh, intelligence and the core of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So anything that we do uh, with the computational methods and using uh, computers is classified as computational science. Computational science, the purpose of this is, is to, to have a predictive capability for things that we cannot do manually or analytically using, uh, you know, mathematics to, to analyze the questions. So AI is not new. Um, I mean, it's a term uh, essentially refers mainly to neural networks and later expanded the methods of machine learning, which are uh, some of them uh, have been used for, for many years. But I think the advancement in, in the computing Uh, together with the advancements in algorithms, um, provided the opportunity and increasingly provides more opportunities actually to use these techniques 
to, to make some predictions. I mean, there is, we have to be careful here how we consider actually this prediction because you can predict what you can predict. You can predict more than that. Uh, I mean, you, you have uh, data uh, that, that uh, essentially you may have some gaps into this data and this data you can fill it with uh, some predictions that you do with certain methods. But um, we cannot uh, certainly say that because we have a method that can predict something we don't know already, we can predict the future or we can predict, uh, uh, you know, uh, far, uh, you know, in the future certain events or, or processes. I mean, the, the, the main thing with artificial intelligence are not based on physics-driven or physics-based uh, principles. They are algorithms that essentially what they do, they optimize uh, data and processes, and, and they give you um, uh, some predictions based on, on, on the sophisticated, if you like, optimization or interpolation of this data you will do. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that uh, this will, you know, essentially prevail and take over uh, human operations and things like that. Certainly there will be changes in the society, uh, as they were with the computers, with uh, the internet and all this stuff. But we have to be very, very careful not to hype too much about uh, what these technologies can do, certainly at present and potentially in the future, because we don't know how things uh, will, will develop. Future medicine is becoming hybrid due to the increasing use of technology, including telemedicine, virtual reality, artificial intelligence and remote monitoring. Personalized therapy is a step toward the hybrid future because it combines traditional medical practices with emerging technologies such as genomics, genetic testing and artificial intelligence to provide more individualized and targeted care and tailored medical treatment to the specific needs of each patient. This requires the integration of various medical disciplines such as genetics, oncology and pharmacology along with digital technologies to analyze and interpret large amounts of data. I asked Dr. Konstantin Stratakis, a world-recognized leader in using genetic linkage and other genome-wide tools to use them as targets by Precision Medicine and Director of the Human Genetics and Precision Medicine and Foundation for Research and Technology in Greece, why we focus precision medicine on rare diseases, especially in oncology with different types of cancer? Well, I mean, this goes all in the history of precision medicine. We tie precision medicine to genetics now, and genetics, genomics, uh, started with applications in rare diseases and, and in cancer. And today, uh, by far, the most advanced applications of precision medicine are in rare diseases and cancer, exactly because it started with uh, first in rare diseases and cancer. However, if you look right now at the application of genomics, and you look at, for example, how many genomes get done outside the realm of rare diseases and cancer, you'll see that the exponential increase of genomic applications are not in rare diseases and not in cancer, but everything else, including uh, infectious diseases and a variety of other things. And so everybody predicts that um, while the application of precision medicine in rare diseases and in cancer will continue unabated, of course, um, everybody predicts that the other users will completely overtake uh, the field, uh, especially when it comes to uh, generalized uh, healthcare. Uh, we, we should uh, consider precision medicine, as you correctly pointed out, 
a, a concept that is uh, refers to all of medicine, all of diseases, all of prevention, all of healthcare, and not limited to where it started from, the rare diseases and cancer. Because if, if we limit it there, then as we move on to the applications, we will be forced to use concepts and applications from rare disease and cancer to all the other fields. Whereas what I think should be done is learn the lessons that we learned from applying PM, precision medicine, on uh, rare disease and cancer and uh, redesign the whole concept so that it really um, encompasses the entire field. Redesigning organizations and leaders for the cyber-physical age involves adapting to the rapid changes brought about the fourth industrial revolution or Industry 4.0. This requires a holistic approach that considers the integration of physical, digital, and biological systems and the impact on the global production and supply network. The term cyber-physical age refers to the era we are currently living in where the physical or real world is increasingly connected to and integrated with the digital or virtual world. This integration is facilitated by cyber-physical systems, which are systems that combine physical and computational components to monitor and control physical processes. The hybrid future refers to a potential future where we see an even greater level of integration between the physical and digital Digital worlds. This could involve the use of advanced technologies such as augmented reality, virtual reality and the Internet of Things to create a more seamless and immersive experience for users. So to see what a hybrid future could bring to the businesses, organizations and people innovation, I asked Tyrone Pitsis, Professor of Strategy and Technology and Director of the Center for Innovation and Technology Management at Durham University in the United Kingdom to portray the main directions in redesigning organizations and leaders for the cyber-physical age. This is probably one of the most challenging areas um, and I think in, in some respects, the horse is, you know, the horse is behind the cart. We put the cart before the horse in, in this respect when it comes to the digital. Um, because depending on the types of, of technologies that we're adopting and implementing or, 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 or using, that they kind of enable different kinds of things. And there's different kinds of philosophical assumptions behind them. So, for example, um, if we think about uh, digital technologies that make us more open, right, that has a tension with issues around security, right, uh, cyber security and our, and our identity. And, in fact, um, this is starting to become common for most digital transformation because um, of the internet of things. The more we become connected, the more dangerous it becomes. And we've seen just in the last couple of years, the number, the severity and seriousness of cybersecurity uh, breaches, the Cambridge Analytics is the, is a, is a perfect example, but it's, it's it's happening in in Australia where I'm from. Um, two big organisations and the government's held to ransom, and they're releasing private information 
Optus and 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 uh, and um, Medibank, which has all our medical records, right? And that information is being released as we speak online, right? So this is the big challenge because there's a marketing drive, there's a there's a hype drive for going digital. It's driven by IT companies because it's in the interest. Where the big challenge for us is, and where there's a massive opportunity for entrepreneurs as well, is in how we protect ourselves and that's by far our biggest challenge how companies are going to protect themselves because it's going to get worse we have people smart people working on technology so so in the in the uk in this region we, we have a lot of stuff being done around quantum uh, key distribution and that sort of stuff some countries uh, and some groups can crack any code we have and cook and then we create it right so the, the other thing is we are and i'm talking myself here as well we're all pretty dumb when it comes to uh, our interactions with technologies H- how many times have you read the agreement when you're downloading an app or when you're going onto a website or i guarantee you a very small percentage of people have ever read it. Okay, that's the example. We, we, we are very promiscuous when it comes to our technology, um, and even when we're not, even when we're not, we're still at great risk. Um, so there's the one massive challenge we have is if we become more connected, because right? the idea of technology is, um, and there's been and there's been a couple of individuals uh, that have intimated or expressly said that the idea of technology is that we don't believe in privacy, that we should know everything about everyone because that produces the most transparent world. That's a philosophical stance. And part of the design of some technology, it comes from that value system. Another word is, another world is about how we... Um, can attack or defend. So it becomes a tool of war, a tool of espionage. So it's much more secretive. Another part of it is driven by this idea of us as consumers and that as consumers, businesses need as much information about us as possible because that's how the business model works. The more they can understand us, the more they know where we go, what we like, who we who we hang around with, what we listen to, what we read, when we're sick, the more they know about those things, the better they can market to us. And that's fundamentally security, you know, open, more transparent, and then consumption. And there are our challenges. Space exploration will likely continue to be a part of our hybrid future as emerging technologies are integrated into space missions and new approaches to space exploration are developed. Some examples of hybrid technologies that could be used in space exploration include hybrid rocket propulsion, advanced robotics and space habitats that combine traditional materials with emerging technologies like 3D printing and nanotechnology. I asked Dr. Vasilis Inglazakis, reader in chemical engineering at the University of Strathclyde in Scotland in the United Kingdom, who has authored on zooponics and how to cultivate plants in a non-Earth environment, why lunar and deep space exploration are important to our hybrid future. If I, if, I, if I have to use just one word, I would say the excitement of discovery or discovery. 
human humans were always uh, excited uh, with this uh, this kind of adventures and uh, i can't imagine the world without the discovery from the west at least point of view of uh, america for example uh, so people were always doing this they were always uh, open and uh, excited to discover that's why we left africa many uh, hundreds of thousands of you know, million years ago and that's why we, we we keep moving we cannot stay still we're just moving in all different directions and all different ways so this is the this is one major factor okay the second one is uh, technological slash economic uh, space can offer uh, many benefits in terms of materials or resources, if you wish, in general, uh, uh, with implications in, in the economy. And, uh, and uh, so uh, many governments and investors, they are looking at this uh, dimension. Um, and uh, I would say that uh, in long term, as because you mentioned, you use the word uh, deep, uh, um, deep uh, space and, uh, and, and so on, I, I, would, I would add the, the, the time, uh, the time uh, di dimension there uh, to think deep in time from the point of view that uh, inevitably, uh, someday, maybe tens of hundreds of years, I don't know, thousands, we would need to leave Earth. Or some of us, we would need to leave Earth. We must have an alternative. Uh, it may sound uh, uh, strange to some, but uh, uh, we, must, we must have a, an, a, an emergency exit. It might sound a little bit troublesome to say that at some point we might need to leave Earth. Why would this be? Would we expect that the climate change will get out of hand? Is it going to be the overpopulation of Earth, uh, the scarcity of natural resources? Uh, maybe we will experience changes beyond the climate on Earth. For instance, in many movies, we see the scenario that Mars has yeah. lost its gravity. Therefore, yeah. there was loss of oxygen from its surface that it used to have yeah. um, some sort of uh, life forms present uh, on its surface, but no longer. So is it possible to have such a scenario on Earth? Because I haven't read any recent uh, publications relevant to or beyond climate change on Earth. So what would be these conditions um, that will force us to leave Earth? And uh, uh, would this be a plan that we put forward through these missions? There are... I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm not well aware of this uh, kind of stuff. I mean, gravity cannot cannot uh, be altered or changed. But what can happen is the magnetosphere. It's something that happened in Mars. Uh, I don't remember when. I mean, millions of years ago. And uh, there, there is no magnetosphere. And magnetosphere is uh, like, uh, let's say, like a shield which uh, um, uh, protects uh, uh, planets, Earth, for example, uh, from uh, uh, solar uh, radiation. And particle radiation and some other stuff that a physicist can uh, explain much, much, much better than myself. But uh, the point is that uh, there are more immediate, more. I mean, for example, the, the impact from an asteroid is, is something more probable than uh, the, the loss of, of, of magnetosphere. And uh, uh, asteroids is not something that is in only in, 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 sci in science in science fiction movies. Okay, it happens every million, every it has a recurrence. Okay, so it will happen. Uh, now, maybe a minor impact, maybe a major impact, I don't know. For, for instance, okay, now climate change, overpopulation and everything else you mentioned. Yes, we may have a combination of all these things. And, uh, you know, when, when because it happens and 
and I, 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 um, I, I, I had been teaching uh, risk analysis and uh, safety engineering and all this, you always must have a, 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 an option. Always, even, even if the probability of, of an event is uh, 0.00 to minus 10, doesn't matter. You must have an alternative. Smart cities utilize data collected from citizens, buildings, devices, and other assets to monitor and manage essential services such as traffic, air quality, lighting, waste management, and water supply. By utilizing such technologies, smart cities can optimize and manage the resources more effectively, reduce waste, and improve public safety and security. In a hybrid future, mobility as a service and smart cities will likely be closely intertwined. I asked Dr. Alexandros Nikitas, reader in Smart Transport Future Mobility Lab founding director, deputy director of the Behavioral Research Center at the University of Huddersfield in the United Kingdom, in what ways mobility as a service could advance smart cities travel. This is a very, very interesting topic, and some of our listeners, uh, some of our viewers might not understand exactly what mobility as a service is. It's such a powerful, game-changing uh, force uh, of transition, this one. Actually, it's not something really, really new in the sense that you're going to have all these amazing different vehicle technologies. It's about redistributing transportation resources in a more effective way, in a more efficient way. So mobility as a service comes to replace privately owned transportation with personalized mobility packages, giving access to integrated multimodal services on an as-needed basis, available for a single digital interface, via subscription or pay-as-you-go options. So it's right now the most hyped intervention of them all. Even They have even more hype than connected and autonomous vehicles for the people working in the transport academia. At the same time, a lot of people actually start questioning how powerful these systems are and how innovative they are because what they do now is actually create systems that offer multiple tickets and payments for subscribers, help them optimize their transport choices, provide access to real-time journey information, including traffic and weather conditions, and allows them to address disruptions, delays, and cancellation arising from the journey. So some people might say, already we have that in these travel apps that we have in our mobile phones. So mobility as a service potential is a higher level of this type of, of function. And we don't have real mobility as a services system around. We have pilot services. We have um, mass-like or little light services around the world, like the system in Vienna, for instance. It, it, it could approximate uh, mobility as a service network. But potentially, this, this intervention, this integrated package of multimodal solutions that you access digitally from a single uh, mobile app could dramatically reduce the number of cars of the roads because they create opportunities for co-functioning and sharing uh, mobility resources. Uh, therefore, we will see huge reductions in travel delays, in air pollution, in noise uses, in energy consumption. We're going to have less transport-related social exclusion and less traffic accidents, better health and well-being, uh, accessibility gains, and household expenditure reductions. But at the same time, a lot of researchers, me included, suggest that if mobility as a service is used predominantly as an Uber-style system, 
So providing car-centric services, even if you don't have to own a car, you can get the car all the time. Then if mobility as a service is a system like that, then this is something that Americans would love to see. Yeah, because I had uh, interactions and this is what they believe car sharing or ride sharing is mass. If we get to an Uberized mobility as a service system, then actually we won't enjoy any sustainable travel benefits. Quite the opposite. People that actually now use public transportation because they have to use public transportation because they don't have access to their own vehicle, they might be enabled to actually use more car-centric services. And this potentially could create the exact opposite of what I described for the ideal scenario. So we have to find ways to regulate mobility as a service and make incentivize active transport and public transport solutions and disincentivize car-centric services or make, maybe even use them as neighborhood feeders to more uh, prime mass transit systems and as an emergency kind of solutions. This is the only way that mobility as a service could work actually in the way we want it to work. Stay tuned until next Sunday when your guide from 1 to 10 of a hybrid future concludes with how quantum computing will enable new capabilities in fields such as cryptography and drug discovery. The demand for sustainable and nutritious food will grow and innovation will be necessary to meet this challenge. How the transition to a sustainable blue economy based on the sustainable use of ocean resources will be important in meeting future energy needs. How technology will continue to revolutionize education, making it more accessible, personalized and effective. And how advances in chemical engineering will lead to new materials, processes and products that will enhance efficiency, sustainability and safety, but also help us explain the mechanisms of the making of cosmos, our universe. Get notified by subscribing and following the Global Quick Influence podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and five more podcasting platforms. Your feedback and suggestions also help us become better. Until next time.